It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle sometime every Saturday when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way in to the middle of the conversation enough. It's so great to have you along here on the early parts of the Labor Day weekend. We'll be here till 4 o'clock, two hours, the big show, and then Curtis Lee will comes in for left versus right at 4 o'clock. You can hear us, obviously, all up and down the eastern seaboard on Terrestrial Radio 770 or on the app, wabcradio.com. You can stream this, and then it becomes available as a podcast. You can listen to it anytime. If you're having trouble getting sleep at night, you can just play it and knock you right out. We actually have some great issues this week that we're going to be working on. You know, I try to listen. I'm an avid listener to the radio here on 77 WABC Talk Radio. I know you are as well, and, and I, you know, part of... The reason I do that is because part of the role that we've kind of taken here in the middle is to talk back a little bit to some of the things that we're hearing, offer a little bit of ballast, maybe a middle perspective. And we're going to get into a couple of issues that represent both ends of the continuum. One issue that is one of those broad consensus issues that left and right have agreed upon for a very long time, and both sides, if they were sitting in a room, would look at each other and say, you know, we don't agree on much, but, boy, I wish they would solve this problem. And then the second one is one that people have been fighting about almost as long as we've been a country. So that's the tease a little bit. You can reach out to me, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can also reach me on email, wienerwabc at gmail.com, at repwiener. Is my Twitter handle. Christian is taking the call today. Eva on the board. And Matt, the big boss, is here supervising things on air traffic control. It's a great week this week. Jordan has been spending time with his cousins. Jordan has a very big family. He has like 11 cousins, 10 on Huma's side and one on my side. <laughs> and some of his cousins are in from out of town, and he's been just living the life of Riley. He lives a greatest summer, man, between the summer camp. I know you, you, you've heard me describe he had a little bit of a choppy a choppy camp at the beginning, but he had a summer camp, and he's been fishing. I got a chance to fish with him a little bit. I told you he came back from camp with his Jones for fishing, and so I went out with him. We didn't catch anything, and then last week we went out again. After uh, we went, up, I went up the air on on Saturday. On that Sunday, we went out fishing, and we started catching stuff. 
We, this local guy who little hole in the wall bait and tackle shop gave us some advice. I didn't, you know, I don't, I know nothing about fishing. Um, been learning everything I can on YouTube and we, I caught some puffers and Jordan caught a couple of porgies. I think por- porgies, is that what they're called? Like porgy and bass. And it's really great. You know, I, I told you my grandfather, my dad, my late dad's father, Michael Weiner, second generation. He, you know, he's the first generation born here. And he and I would go fishing on a lake in northern Georgia and Highland Lakes where we used to live. I know some of our listeners are in that neighborhood still. And we'd just sit on the dock. I don't remember catching a – not such a – I remember catching a couple of sunnies here and there. But it's really been great because it's teaching Jordan a little bit, patience, and also we're just kind of standing there. And, and I don't know it that well, so he gets to teach me. It's just been a lot of fun. Um, football season is quickly approaching. You know, I'm a Jets fan, and I did not want to like Aaron Rodgers, and I hate to say it, but from watching Hard Knocks on HBO, and I mean, look, you know, when you're a Met fan or a Jet fan, you just wait for things to go off the tracks, and so I'm tempering my expectations, but it is an exciting time of year. Hockey season is starting up again soon. My first game is a week from tomorrow, and I tomorrow uh, Monday I turn 59, and I've been playing hockey since I was nine. I, I last season, as you know, was a tough one for me to get through in one piece. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it, but also a little bit of trepidation. I'm starting to get a little bit long in the tooth to be playing with these 20 and 30 year old kids. Uh, and then on football, it looks like I'm going to play a buddy of mine on the hockey team has asked if I want to be in the fantasy football league. I've never played fantasy football except for once. I played when I was in prison. You know, one of the ways I survived inside is was I used my political skills. I, like, wound up getting involved with just enough kind of circle of guys that um, everyone kind of had it in my in their, in their interest to keep me alive in one piece. Like, you can't have a successful fantasy league if one of your members is, is in, in the shoe or one of your members is, you know, <laughs> is, is drinking his breakfast through a straw. So, uh, and, and so I did play a little fantasy football inside and, and it was fun, I guess. The only problem is I don't want to, I don't need more stuff to watch. I don't need my, my amount of, of media consumption is just right. And I don't want to be obsessed with like a Tennessee, say, you know, a, a, a Tennessee Carolina game in the middle of the season that I, cause I have a guy. So, but I'm, I'm going to try it out. And anyone wants to offer me tips, you can call in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So let's get to some of the uh, the more serious kind of um, uh, news of the week. Obviously, this is Labor Day weekend. And if you have off this weekend, you probably want to thank a labor union because the idea of weekends off was something that only started with the trade union movement. If you get paid time and a half, there's all kinds of examples. Labor unions are not at their highest, but they're not their lowest either. Had a little bit of a minor comeback. Uh, but happy Labor Day weekend. Um, let's go to the numbers of the week, some interesting numbers this week. 92,003. 92,003, that is the number of fans who watched the Nebraska women's volleyball team play a, a match against Omaha this week, the largest crowd ever to witness a women's sports event. 92,003. They put it in the Nebraska Cornhusker Stadium. Everyone piled in there, and they watched the women play volleyball. So that record was broken this week. The August jobs number came out. I always get to announce this, basically, because they come out on Friday 
187,000 jobs added, unemployment up slightly from 3.5 to 3.8%. Both of those are good things. You might say, well, why is the unemployment going up a little bit? Well, they want, the Fed wants a tighter labor market because that keeps inflation down. Um, and they also, there's some theory that people are getting off the sidelines to get into the market. Anyway, the, mar- the stock market thought it was all great news and jobs keep going up. We, we are now way past where we were. When uh, COVID stopped the economy, um, eighteen years and ten years in prison—that's for two members of the Proud Boys, Ethan Nordian of Auburn, Washington, Dominic Pozzola, forty-five of Rochester, New York. I heard this morning. Good grief! I am gonna heard Alan Dershowitz on with uh, on with Boston early this morning. No, he was on with Larry Kudlow this morning. See, I do listen. I listen, I listen all the time. I need a hobby, and he's like. Oh, there's nothing wrong with what Donald, he's a lawyer, a real lawyer. He says, nothing wrong with Donald Trump did because it was like what I did in 2000, in 2000, he said, trying to get a recount in Florida. Yes, the only difference is one of those took place before Florida had certified its results, before there had been a recount, that you were trying to get a recount. You know, you didn't do it in January when all the votes had been certified and they just had to be announced in front of Congress. That's the difference. I mean, you're, we're not dumb, Dersh. We, we, I mean, I love you, buddy, but we, we know better, and so should you. Anyway, so a couple more members of the Proud Boys. And I also, I know what I heard on Bo. I heard some people say, oh, this is a conspiracy. They're getting punished for their views. No, no, no one is going to jail for their views. Not a single person is going to jail for their views. You can have a view of what it would be like to punch my nose. You just can't do it. You can think and talk about punching my nose. You just can't do it. You can think about stopping the proceedings of government. You can think about breaking into the Capitol. You can think about macing a police officer. You just can't do it. And they were charged with doing it. So those are a couple of numbers. Another number, and this will bring us into, these numbers will bring us into the subject and we'll talk about for the first hour today. And this is the subject that, as I said, many of us agree upon. And that is that drug prices in the United States are 2.5% higher, 2.5 times higher than comparable developed countries like ours. They're two and a half times higher drug prices. And it's not a meaningless thing. Almost 90% of older Americans over 65 take at least one prescription drug. Almost 80% of seniors take at least two prescription drugs. And get a load of this, 36% regularly take at least five different prescription drugs once you're over the age of 65. I saw this up close in the later days of my dad's, um, my dad's life. He, I think, had nine different prescription drugs that he was on. And the final number is $200 billion. That's how much will be saved over 10 years because as part of the Inflation, uh, um, Inflation Reduction Act, that Joe Biden passed with a razor-thin Democratic majority, we are going to do something that is overwhelmingly popular starting last week. And that is, for the first time, the Medicare program is going to start negotiating, using the power that we have to negotiate for lower prices for the drugs that it buys seniors. And I say this is overwhelmingly popular. Get a load of this. Tell me how many issues have this this um, line. It is supported by 90% of Americans. 90. The chart here. 
It is opposed by 6%. And it crosses all party lines. 93% of Democrats support it. 88% of Republicans support it. 88% of independents support it. And for the first time. And if you want to know why it was in the Inflation Adjustment Act, I told you it saves hundreds of millions of dollars for... um, for the government, but also say it's going to save individuals a lot of money in their, in their co-payments. And if you want to know what these drugs are, because not enough has been talked about it, uh, okay, um, Bristol-Myers Squibb has a blood thinner, Eliquis. There's only 10 now. There's over 2,000 that Medicare buys, but there's only 10 that are uh, in this program. Um, Bristol-Myers Squibb blood thinner, Eliquis. Eli Lilly's diabetes drug, Jardiance. Johnson & Johnson's blood thinner, Jardiance. Zarelto, Merck's diabetes drugs, Januvia, AstraZeneca's diabetes drugs, Farigsia, Norvantis, heart failure medication, and Nestro, Amgen's rheumatoid arthritis drug, Enbrel, Johnson & Johnson's blood treatment, Embruvica, Johnson & Johnson's anti-inflammatory medication, and Novanortis insulins that go by FIAS and Novolite. These are drugs for, for, as you can tell by the names, for diabetes, for stroke, for heart disease, for arthritis, for cancer. And so why did it take so long to do something this obvious, right? Medicare is this program to provide health care for seniors. And for years, for years, this has been a problem. And partly it was because of a mistaken philosophy that this didn't happen. And partly of it, I'll be honest with you, just the raw power and big money of Big Pharma. They're powerful. First, the philosophy part. The philosophy part is basically, oh, let the market decide everything. Some people have that philosophy, that capitalism will solve every problem, that regulations are the problem, not the answer. But when it comes to to your health and when it comes to drugs, is there really a free market? Think about it. I mean, do you have a power to shop around and say, hmm, I've got pancreatic cancer, but let me shop around, see maybe it's cheaper to have lung cancer. Uh, can you really compare when your doctor says, go get this drug? Can you go out and say, all right, let me, let me compare it to other drugs that are out there? No. There's so many of them, there's only one choice. And if the doctor says it, you don't have the, I mean, do you have the ability to bargain? Like all the things about economies and capitalism and everything else. I mean, do you have the power to say, oh, I don't want to pay that. That's overpriced. If you're lying in a hospital bed or your father was like I was, you think I had the the power standing in the Methodist Hospital ER to say, "Mm, let me shop around a little before before you give them that drug. So that's part of it. It's just the stupid philosophy that some people have that is that the market will solve every problem. No, it doesn't. That's why you need to have some kind of regulation. But then there's just the money and power that I saw in Washington of the pharma of the pharmaceutical industry. You know, I saw one stat that it wasn't really a stat because it was something an expert said that I don't know if I should that there's three lobbyists for every member of Congress for the pharmaceutical companies. And so a lot of guys talk about doing something. But a lot of guys just fold when they get into office and they fold to the power of the pharmaceutical industry. By the way, here's, here's some tape of one guy that folded like a cheap suit. 
We're the largest purchaser of drugs in the world, the United States, by far. We don't bid because the politicians that I'm running against and others are getting tremendous campaign contributions from the pharmaceutical industry, the drug industry. And they don't want to have bidding. Yeah, you know who that was? That was Donald Trump in 2016 about why he should be elected president. And instead of doing what he promised, he got rolled. He wasn't strong enough to stand up to the power of Big Pharma. And they came in and they said, oh, don't do that. Do an executive order. And so he did some executive order and he made big, and like your executive orders don't do anything. They're no law, no force of law. You had to do this. I mean, look, there is no doubt about it that for years and years this has been a problem. And you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, how come when they passed the Medicare Act in 1965, why didn't they include drugs then? Why wasn't that part of the plan? Why wasn't that just built in? Well, that's an excellent question. And when we come back from the break, I'll tell you a little bit about how all of this wound up happening, because I was actually there for a good deal of this leading up to Obamacare and since. But this is really good news. If you are a listener to the middle and you hear me say there's so many issues I left and right agree upon, this has been really, really good news. And we're going to talk a little bit about how it came to pass. And we'll take your calls, 800-848-WABC. And at the top of the hour, we're going to transition to an issue that just about everyone wants to fight about. It's Anthony Weiner. It's The Middle. Thank you so much for being here. I remember Christmas in the blistering cold in the church on the Upper West Side. Babe, I stood the singing. I was holding your arm. You were holding my trust like a child. Found a lot of trouble out on Avenue B, but I tried to keep it over. Hello. Farewell to the city and the love of my life as we left before we had to go. Love won't Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. I'm Anthony Weiner. Fleetwood Mac bring us back in. We're here to 4 o'clock. Then Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. He's prime for a... I got, you got to give Curtis credit. Whatever your politics are, 
he seems to be winning this immigrant issue. But I am, you know, look, I'm doing the best I can. He's getting a lot of stuff wrong. Um, but uh, he's going to be at 4 o'clock. And then I think he and I, for my birthday on Monday, are going to be filling in for Sid in the morning. So if one hour is not enough, you can always tune in. We should anyway. Sid is a great show, blowing the doors off everyone else in New York, in the New York market. So we're talking a little bit about an issue that, you know, people say, oh, how can you be the middle? You never talk about anything that's really the middle. Well, there's nothing more the middle than what the Inflation Adjustment Act did um, to finally make it possible for the federal government to negotiate for lower prices for we, the citizens. Now, you, you know, a couple of people have asked these, these questions, you know, why didn't this happen sooner? Well, for one thing, it wasn't included as part of Medicaid in 1965. Very simply, it wasn't that big an expense back then. The drug industry as we know it today was not, you know, that wasn't the big driver of health care costs back in 1965. Now, it has been an issue for years, though. Going back as far as, you know, the, the campaign for president in 2000 between Gore and Bush, this was a big issue. And they both agreed they had to do something about it. But history has a way of doing things. And so in history, you know, by because the Supreme Court mucked things up and, and decided not to count all the votes in Florida and butterfly ballots and whatever it is, G.W. Bush became the president, not Al Gore. And so his way of solving this problem was done. And he came up with this idea called Medicare Part D, which is what we have today, which says we're not going to make it a government program. We're going to make it a private program. And we're going to let we're basically going to subsidize it. We, the taxpayers, are going to basically pay your bills for more of your costs, not all of them. You've got the so-called donut hole, and if you don't know what the donut hole is, go call someone who's a senior citizen on Medicare Part D, and they'll tell you. The the program covers your first few dollars, then leaves you uncovered in the middle, and then if you have really high costs, it kicks in again. That's the so-called donut hole. That's one of the reasons I opposed this. I thought this was the wrong way to go. And so George W. Bush, in 2003, when this was passed, had total control of the government for the first time, I think, since the 1940s, 50s maybe, House, Senate, and the uh, presidency, obviously. So they passed this thing just barely, because just barely, because the insurance industry wanted no part of this, but they basically said, all right, if you're going to pass it, we want to we want to write it. It's the insurance industry. They get to, they, that's how powerful they are in Washington. And they put something in there called the no interference clause. And what did it say? It said specifically in 2003, they saw this coming. They said, you cannot negotiate for lower prices. We got to decide what the price is. We, the insurance industry. So did that work? This whole idea of making it all private, just give money to drug companies, whatever they want to charge. Well, from 2008, 2009, rather, 2018, the average price of brand name drugs for Medicare, uh, for medicine, basically doubled. And it's a problem that cuts across every political line, every geographic line, every demographic line. You know, this blood thinner, Eliquis, my dad took it. It prevents strokes and blood clots. 3.7 million people on Medicare are thinking that. So, And they're not like, oh, I'm a, blood clots only happen to Democrats, only happen to Republicans, only happen to people in red red districts. No. So this thing is going to save people. And I just want to point out one other thing. I took a little run at Donald Trump for folding on this. He had the House and Senate and the, and, and the presidency in from 2000 in the 115th Congress. 
2017 and 18. And he did nothing on this. He got rolled. He couldn't do it. He doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to do this job. And this is going to save people a lot of money. Because it's going to save tax dollars, right? I've already explained that. Like 200 million. That's why it's in the Inflation Reduction Act, because, you know, fewer dollars getting pumped into the economy to, and it reduces the deficit. And that's not all. Boy, it gets even better next year. 2025, rather, another provision goes into effect that caps all drug spending by seniors. If you're a senior, you you, you never have to pay more than $2,000. And if you have like a rare blood disease or if you are, you, you never, it gets capped to 2000 Another big improvement. And this was passed without a single Republican vote. So is this socialism? No. No. Because we're using our market power, you and me, the people of the United States of America. We're negotiating to negotiate a better price. It's actually using market forces if you really want to think about it. But you hear people all the time, you know, socialist this and socialist that, wanting to reduce your cost for your health care. Give that whatever name you want. You know, people like, sometimes I listen to, to the radio and they're like, how the hell, who the heck would even vote for, for Joe Biden? Well, a lot of people are who are going to see for the first time the government doing something we haven't been able to do in forever. And something that 90% of Americans agree upon, we're finally getting it done. And, and healthcare, man, I want, you know, everyone says, oh, socialized medicine, we don't want socialized medicine, we don't want socialized medicine. Well, what do you think Medicare is, my friends? Socialized medicine is, is all of us getting together and saying, you know what? We have more power together than we have as individual people. If you're not eligible for Medicare, if you're my age, if you're 50, 59 on Monday, and you have to go out as an individual person and try to find health care, try to find insurance coverage as an individual person, you can't, you can't do it. I mean, it's a little bit easier now under Obamacare. But Obamacare, remember, that just used the private market. I'd love Medicare. I remember I was uh, giving the spiel on CNBC, I want to say, and Maria Bartiromo, Maria Bartiromo was on interviewing me. And I'm giving the spiel, and she's trying to push back as best she can. She's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And she looks at me, and uh, I'm giving the same spiel I just gave just now. And she says, if you like it so much, why don't you have it? And I'm like, Dude, I'm like 40 years old. <laughs> you don't really believe this. Anyone can ask for Medicare. I wish. You can find that video somewhere. It's actually pretty funny. Um, so that is really, really good news for so many people. And if you're a New Yorker, that's particularly good because so much of our economy is built on, is built on healthcare and like people being able to get it. And you know, the other thing this might do, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. And we're talking about the Medicare's ability to negotiate for uh, lower prices. You know what else I might do? I might save lives. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because the way our system is structured now, if you need, if you're an old person or if you're a person who ha- who is is on Medicare and you have a drug that you can't afford, it's not a cliche to say that you're splitting pills or you're not able to do it. These drugs are amazing. 
So some people have made the argument, and maybe someone will call up and make it. Some people have made the argument that, well, if we didn't have this capitalist model that kept the government largely out of it, wouldn't pharmacy companies, pharmaceutical companies, would they still develop the drugs? Would it still be? Yeah. And, but even, even if you're concerned about that, one of the things that this law does, it's not as, it's smart the way they did it. What they said is one, we're not going to take any drug that is early on in its patent and add it to the list because they want the drug companies to make money on that. Two, we're not going to take any drug that already has competition and put it on the list because the whole idea is that you don't only need the government to come and negotiate for a price if there's not competition out there. And also, we're going to give a, an additional benefit and for, for biologics, the ones that are the drugs that are developed, not just chemical changes of another drug, but ones that are developed to come up with new with to new solutions to our health problems. There's two different kinds of pharmaceuticals. Ones that are basically chemically altered other versions of them, like someone says, oh, I've got one ED medication, but this one will be a little bit better, so I'm going to modify that one. That's one version. Another one is someone who goes in the lab and says, listen, I'm going to try to come up with a new drug for something we don't have. a." So under the law, that second version has more time on the marketplace before that there before there's any competition. So there's this thing is written in, in a smart way. But ultimately, and this isn't I believe the solution to healthcare in our country is I believe the private insurance companies is to get them completely out of it. Now that's not what this does, and that's not what Obamacare did. But to be honest with you, all private insurance companies do is they take money from us, pass it along to a nurse, to a hospital, to a doctor, and they take a bit for themselves and they do a bunch of advertising. Well, Medicare cuts all that out. That's why Medicare has like 1.5% overhead compared to 20 or 30% that an insurance company has. And this is Bidenomics. So all of you think, oh, my God, there's no uh, Biden, you know, you listen to the radio, Biden, the bumbling this, the idiotic this, the foolish that. He was able to, with the narrowest of majorities in the House and Senate, get this passed. And now everyone's benefiting without a single Republican vote. And Donald Trump, when he had the House and the Senate, what did he do? He gave, you know, tax cuts to millionaires and billionaires when the economy was already doing pretty well. And this thing he promised to do something about he did nothing about. That's the difference. And I think a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans realize that. So we're going to take some calls when we get back. And then at the top of the hour, that's it for all the things we agree on. Because at the top of the hour, I'm going to talk about the issue of the day that everyone wants to fight about. And I am going to tell you why so many of the things that you're hearing about immigration and migration are just not true. But for now... It's Fleetwood Mac taking us out on this beautiful day, the beginning of Labor Day weekend. Anthony Weiner in the middle. We'll see you on the other side.
It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. version of I Fought the Law, and we're talking about a law that for years the big pharma companies fought against, and that is this idea of using all of us as a big buying pool to reduce costs of drugs, and finally, with Bidenomics, we're getting it done. Speaking of which, if you like what you hear, here, I have something called the Middle Unplugged Podcast. It drops every Wednesday, and this Wednesday, this past episode, which was episode 45, um, we talk a little bit about kind of comparing the economic records of Biden and Trump since that's, those are going to be our two nominees for all the people who say, oh, I don't know who's, who it's going to be. It's going to be those two for better or for worse. And I think a lot of people wish it'd be someone else. All right. Let's get some calls in. We're talking about health care. So let's go to Eric in Queens. Go ahead, Eric. Hey, Anthony. It's been a while since we spoke. Um, welcome back, Eric. Thank you. Uh, you know, as a small business owner for, 20-plus years in the construction field in New York City, I can honestly say I've hired dozens and dozens of illegal immigrants from all corners of the world. I've heard every single story you could have imagined. I've dated so many women with shaky immigration statuses. I've heard it all. I've been offered serious amounts of cash to do fake marriages, so on and so on. You get you get the drift. For the past 10-plus years, I've had many workers receiving free health care benefits, from the state of Connecticut and the state of New York, okay? Now, I can't even begin to talk about health care with anybody until we bring this up because the amount of money that we spend when, I hate to say this, Anthony, but Jose and Maria, they all have four or five kids apiece. How much are we paying for those kids in the hospital? Twenty, thirty, forty thousand. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Eric. Under what program are they getting funded? Are they, are they having it paid for? Well, it's not going to be Medicare. Obviously, it's going to be Medicaid. Nope. If, unless they're unless they're documented American citizens, they don't get that. Okay, Anthony, who pays for them when they go to the hospital? Aha! I hoped you would have asked that, Eric. That's why they should be covered. Because when an undocumented person, and thank you, Eric, when an undocumented person gets hit by a truck outside accidentally or trips and falls, the 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 siren goes off. Someone comes and scrapes them off the sidewalk and brings them to a hospital emergency room, and someone tries to breathe life back into them as they should. But for all of the people, when we were passing Obamacare, all the people said, well, so long as we don't cover the undocumented people, and there are about 13 million people. It was, and I said to them, and I said it, and I say it to Eric, well, who do you think pays for them? The bill fairy? We do. But not with any kind of insurance, not with any kind of control over the cost, not with anything like that. Of course, that's the argument. That's the argument for universal 
health care coverage. That's why other countries say whoever you are, if you're here, even if you're a visitor from another country, you get the coverage. Now, we don't have that right now. No undocumented person gets Medicaid, period. That's not the law does not does not permit that. Now, does that mean those bills are not getting paid by you and me by higher taxes? Hell, yeah, they are. So when everyone says don't cover this person or don't cover that person or they're getting good, remember, all we're doing there, all we do with Medicaid and all we do with Medicare is we aggregate people together and we try to get efficiencies by having all of those people together. That's all it is. And we take the federal government, the muscle of the federal government, and the lawmaking of the federal government, and we say that these are the rules that we're going to start to use in on how we deal with it. We're going to we're going to approve some things. We're not going to approve other things. We're going to pay for some things. We're not going to approve. We're not going to pay for other things. But by and large, it's to make people well. But Eric's not wrong. Not not wrong. We you know when someone gets run over by a truck, whether they're undocumented or not, we wind up paying for it. And that's the that's the idea. Uh, let's go to David and Whitestone. Hey, David, thanks for joining us. Are you with us, David? Going once, going Hello? twice. Yes, Hello? David, go ahead, Val. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so basically I just want to make a point really quick. Uh, first off, with regard to the cost involved, uh, in covering the uninsured, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, when somebody actually is hit by a, a vehicle in the street or they have a catastrophic illness and they're not insured, the hospitals have to take care of them anyway. So it's much more uh, expedient uh, and it's much more prudent for people to collectively pool their resources together and, again, average out the cost per patient. It's much more cost-effective. And when you look at every other country within the Western Hemisphere and within uh, excuse me, excuse me, within the Western world, industrialized countries, Western Europe, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Israel, for example, they all have socialized medicine. They have universal basic coverage for most, if not all, of their populations. And again, you know, it, it's not ideology that you're talking about. I mean, some of those countries might be more socialistic politically, yes, but at the, at the end of the day, it's a dollars and cents issue. It's an economic issue. It's much more cost effective if you have national uh, health care. And in many cases, uh, in places like Germany, Taiwan, for example, uh, you know, they have health care systems that are not only more cost effective, they're much more uh, in terms of outcomes, health outcomes. Yeah, but, uh, but you want to know something but, interesting, David, that's right, you bring a lot to the table. But there's one other thing that's interesting about many of those countries, and David, thank you for the call, is they all have lower drug prices that we, the United States taxpayer, have helped develop those drugs. So what happens is the pharmaceutical companies, they get less for their drugs in Africa and in Latin America because there's less money to pay for it. We wind up subsidizing because we have more money here. We wind up paying two times. One, we pay to help develop those drugs. Well, three times if you consider we also help to test those drugs and give them the FDA, the gold standard approval. And then we subsidize other countries who have lower prices. And I want pharmaceutical companies to make money. No doubt about it. I want them to. I want them to be successful. But the question is how do we structure that? Next, let's go to Bob in Connecticut. Go ahead, Bob. Anthony. Bob. Medicare is not socialized medicine. I paid in for over 60 years. Do you pay the full cost of your health care? 
Let me tell you, I paid into Medicare for over 60 years and never collected it. And what was it? Wednesday I went because the doctor told me and my wife told me I had to go for this test because she wanted to know if she should, you know, keep paying. Bob, Bob, you have Medicare. Bob, you have Medicare? Yes. And you and you paid in as uh, you paid Social Security and FICA to GAV Medicare now, right? In 2023. Yes. Is that correct? Yep. Did yes. you do you think I, but let me ask you something. I, do you think over the course of your working life, do you think you paid equal to the amount of what you're taking out? Oh, much more. I never no way, collected pal. anything. I went that, to the you state have, and they still charged me do you know how I understand I, Bob I understand Bob but what I'm the point that I'm making to you Bob is that you paid in relatively small amounts compared no one on Social Security everyone is taking more out from Social Security than they put in everyone is paying more out of Medicare because costs are so much higher today that's why there's a fundamental insolvency in Medicare because the costs are so high Social Security is a little bit different Social Security is going to be solvent for you know until 2035 2036. The reason we have solvency problems here is because of the high cost of medicine. And so to say, well, I've got it now, I didn't need any health care when I was 30, but I need it now when I'm 65, therefore it's not socialized medicine. Uh-uh, pal, it is. It's still the same thing. We are pooling together resources, and the federal government is doling it out. They're not deciding whether you need a one drug or another. They're just passing along the money to pay for those drugs, and shouldn't we want to pay for less? It's so funny. Like people, oh, I I hate socialism. Oh, but I like social. I like I like Medicare. Oh, Medicare I like. But I hate socialism. It's all socialism is, and it gets exaggerated and confused. And in a technical way, I mean, all socialism is is when we pool together our efforts to try to achieve an outcome. And in this case, the outcome is more health care coverage for less cost. So if you want more left health care coverage for less cost, go out and try to do it alone with just the capitalist economy to support you. Or try to do it with the help of a federal government that says, let's create a program called Medicare in 1965. And let's see if we can use that to extend life, to expand, to extend life expectancy of seniors. Check, done that to try to see if we can use it to aggregate all of our costs to keep the price down, as a previous caller said, check, we've done that. And now we're finally taking this leaky hole in the program, pharmaceutical drugs, which became a much bigger thing in the last generation, and we're doing the same thing for that. I mean, if you don't like the word socialism, call it using buying powers of, of, of a group. It's kind of an economic theory, you know, also. When we were doing Obamacare, and I was active in that debate, people said, dude, did you read the bill? And I say, yeah, I helped write the bill. And all these Democrat Republicans, we passed without a single Republican vote, and all these Republicans, by the way, you don't hear them talking about defunding and you know, repealing and replacing Medicare. You notice that at the debate the other day, not a single mention of, of repealing Obamacare anymore. Good for them. Anyway, we're passing this, and I kept hearing the socialism, this socialism, that. So I said, why don't we just have a vote? I put, I made a motion. I made an amendment and I said, I said, um, let's, let's end the Medicare program. It's, it's socialized medicine. Let's end it. And I was telling all of my Republican colleagues were sneaking out of the door and looking at their, 
their watch and saying, when is this hearing going to be over? Because, they, yes, it doesn't work. And we'll be back. We'll wrap up this conversation. At the top of the hour, something that's not something that people agree upon. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that we want to fight about almost since the beginning of our country, and that is immigration. And we can talk a little about that at the top of the hour. And then at 4 o'clock, Curtis Lee will comes in for left versus right. It's Anthony Weiner. It's the middle. It's great to have you along. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Healthcare in this hour at the top of the hour, we're going to swerve really hard into a different issue. But let's take a few more a few more calls first. There's uh, Richard in Texas. Welcome back, Richard. Good afternoon. Um, last week, uh, two weeks ago, rather, uh, your argument I thought was very uh, very weak in uh, about the uh, Fulton County indictment. You recall that? I recall uh, everything except the weak part. Okay. So anyway. You know, after I made my statement, then, you know, you, you you hang up on the person so you can't say anything else, obviously. And the thing was Turley and Dershowitz, both Democrats, both distinguished professors. I think you use one of the weakest arguments to say that it is a crime what they did, all these people, including one of your coworkers, Giuliani, who does an amazing job defending himself on his own show and other shows. Uh, so I have to think he's in the same bag. The bag is they're all liars. Dershowitz is not a liar. Tull- no, 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 no. They're, 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 they're profiteers. You said they're all lying. They're profiteers. Well, they're, they're doing, yeah, I, I guess they, they, they should know better. I assume they know better because of all the credentials that they have. Hurley wrote an op-ed in 2020 talking about the four stages of an election. 
Okay, he he knows better. These people know better. But they both Hurley takes money from Fox News for lying. Dershowitz takes money, writes books that are just look. Maybe lying is too hot a word. So I have to assume if they're not lying, then they're being intentionally misleading. Choose whatever word you want. They're professional lawyers. They know you can't once a court has adjudicated something, once a legislature has voted finally on it, once something is final in the eyes of the law, you can't say, "Oh, I still want it changed." They know better. And maybe, Richard, do you not? Do you not know better? That there are four stages. You decide who votes. You decide the rules for how they vote. You vote. And then you have rules for how you contest the vote. Donald Trump, Donald Trump had conversations with, with, um, with Roethlisberger on January 2nd, 2020. The certification had already happened. So when, when, when the distinguished professor Dershowitz or Mr. Hurley say, oh, they're just asking for recounts, there already were three recounts in Georgia. So you say, I don't, you don't like the word I'm using, calling them liars. You don't like the word I'm using. Fine. They're profiteers. One is doing it because he gets money from Fox to say stuff that Fox viewers want. One is saying it because he has a book that's saying they're trying to get Trump. And I know Mr. Dershowitz. I admire him. I've met him a few times. He's very kind to me. And I've been, and we, and if I saw, if he, and people said, get him on the radio. He says, why? So he can say the same stuff to me? He said it this morning. This morning, this, uh, this morning on the radio, he says, he comes up with this line. He goes like, I contested the 2020 election. Was I a criminal? No, you did it in, in, in November of 2020. You didn't do it in 2020 in January when you, it, the equivalent would be. If Dershowitz believes that you're just, you know, asking for a recount. So then, can I ask you something? What if it is the day of the inauguration? Can you stay, can you attack the, 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 the case then? If you call up someone and say, hey, stop them from taking the oath. Why just because I think I was ripped off? Dershowitz and, and, and Turley, these guys are saying stuff for money. They know better. They're smart guys. Turley, it, by the way, go to the, the episode of 45 of the Middle Unplugged. I actually read from a Turley op-ed from 2020 that he wrote that said, there's nothing wrong with recounts. Here's the way the system works. Boom, boom, boom. But And he says there's four stages of it. It's very well put. Right? Well, he's a smart guy. But apparently he believes now in 2023 that there should be a fifth step once the courts have decided. Once the votes have been certified, once the electoral college has been chosen, we can go choose our own. No, there's no law that says that. And when there's no law for saying something, that means it's against the law. That's the definition. I don't like it because I'm a liar. All right. He's not a liar. They're profiteers. They're disingenuous. They prevaricators. Whatever it is. But they're not doing a service to you, the listener. They're really not. I have to fact check something. I have to fact. I got a text from a from a listener that said that there are some parts of Medicare that the undocumented are available for. They they said that in New York City you can get it if you are a pregnant woman. I think that's only city funds. You can't get any federal funds on the federal Medicaid. But I'm going to check that. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the issue of immigration. And so our period of the middle coming together seems to be fraying. It's so great to have you along. This is the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll see you on the other side for hour two of the middle.
the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. And so welcome back to Hour 2 of the Middle, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. That's how you can get up on the board. We have Christian taking your calls, Ava doing a great job on the board, and Matt supervising us. And so the first hour, we did a classic middle issue. I ended, though, with me getting upset at, here's my, I don't want to get back to this. I don't I want to, because I want to move on to another issue. I think the thing that animates me, so much about that issue of guys just saying stuff they know isn't right is it's a thing that goes on on Fox News, on MSNBC, on, on even here on talk radio. It happens from time to time. I, you know, hosts here, we're kind of the, we're paid to be opinion guys and to talk about opinions and everything. And I try to do a little more, you know, educating and Q&A kind of, kind of get into the meat of things, but that we're basically putting when you're a college professor, you shouldn't be motivated by like, how do I get the most eyeballs or how do I fit into some narrative on a, you should, you should rise to the day. You should rise to the, and, and there are all kinds of legal, these legal cases are super interesting. Like, but saying, oh, he, um, he was just asking for reading. Now, a little bit later in the interview today with Cudlow, and you should go listen to it, it's available on the podcast. He got closer to something that is a real thing, which is the state of mind of Donald Trump. And I said two weeks ago, I said I do believe his state of mind was he really believed this. I read the entire Rathersburg call, listened to the entire Rathersburg call. He was unmoved by all the stuff the Rathersburg told him. He didn't budge in it. Anyway, I want to get to a different issue, and this is the issue of the migrant crisis and immigration. And last week we had a pretty good conversation about this when I talked about the idea just you know, explaining to people again that these people who are undocumented, who are seeking asylum, are here legally. And I explain that. You can go back and listen to that episode. I'm going to rehash the whole thing. But basically, we have an asylum process that exists. And that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of real fired up people about this. And so I'm listening to another show here on the station. Now, I don't want to say what show, and I'm not even going to say who the person was that said these things. But um, I was listening all week because I wanted to take some of the things that were being said that were just not true, that were not a matter of opinion, just weren't true, and that could be fact-checked. And then some things that were legitimate issues, try to separate them out. And so I've been listening all week and writing little notes of who said what, when. And then as I explained the process last week, I go to Ava and I go to Matt and I go to Kevin and I say, can you make me a cut of this? I want to respond to it. And then there was this one caller to a show. Um, I don't want to say which show and I'm not even going to say the caller's name because I don't want to, I don't want to punch down to be honest. I don't want to, I don't believe in that. I mean, these people are, um, I have a microphone they had it for a couple of minutes. They don't maybe know better, but you know what? And and do the let's do 
Let's see if we get through it. It's cut eight, Ava. Let's play cut eight. Everyone listening, we cannot ever allow the Democrats to gaslight us into thinking that illegals that they call migrants should be working and it will help the economy. It will hurt us. It might kill us. If the illegals are allowed to work, they are allowed to vote. And if they vote, they dilute our most sacred right, which is to vote. Imagine someone coming here from a foreign country that has zero ties, that sends their money back home, that is potentially a drug addict, uh, that is potentially a criminal, uh, voting in our elections for more free stuff from an administration that only wants to give them free stuff. They're fed lies, and what they know is they are given free everything. They're given free things that New York City residents, that taxpayers, that citizens are not given. E-scooters, tobacco, Medicaid, legal aid, education, K-12, through university, higher education, um, clothing, cell phones. How many of your listeners get free stays at $400 a night Manhattan luxury hotels? Oh, okay, let me, let me blow your mind here. So as of last year, New York City taxpayers spent $28,000 per public school student annually because of the influx of illegals. New York City taxpayers now spend per public school student annually $38,000, no. $10,000. Eighth grade students here in New York City are not eighth grade level proficient in math. Wait for it. The illegal children that are coming in, in some cases, represent more than the citizens do in schools here. There are plenty of schools. All right. Well, well that's it. But Ava here, let's, let's bring it. So anyway, should... So I was looking for individual things, and then this woman gets on the radio. I thought she was a caller. It turns out that she's not. She was a guest. And just one thing after another that is – I know people are very fired up about this issue. I totally get it. But almost nothing that that person said was true. Yet I hear other people at rallies saying it. I hear people on – some of our our hosts are saying stuff like this. Look, none of the people that are undocumented when they come here, um, they don't have a right to vote. (laughs) They don't, they, they have some effort on the, the, to give them the right to vote by the, by in city elections that were struck down. I don't believe they should have a right to vote. They don't have a right to vote. That's not true. Um, this notion about them getting free stuff. Look, the big free thing that they get here in New York, because I've told a hundred times from the Callahan decision in 1981, they, uh, they have a right to housing. That's it. They're not getting e-scooters. They're not getting tobacco. They're not getting Medicaid. They're not getting, well, Kate, the education. If you're a child in New York City, it's the law that you have to go to school. That's the law. You can't just wander the streets. So they do go to, they do go to, to, to school. They're not getting cell phones. I mean, there's only on like on rare occasions the ICE is giving migrants who don't have a phone. They give them a device that is a kind of a dumb phone. It has one app, doesn't have access to the internet, so they can track them. That's the only thing that there that's in that category. And this crazy woman says it's thirty-eight thousand dollars a year because of the migrants. No, no, the, the the amount we pay per child goes down when more kids come in, not up. Goes down. The reason that went up last year is because we had we had a lot of COVID aid money. It was the last year of the COVID aid money, and it, school, you know, teacher, you know, t- t- schools being half full of migrants. Look, look. Let's just get a grip on ourselves here. 
let's get let's get a handle on on what on what's going on here. One hundred seven thousand or so people have come in and applied for asylum, and we know that number because they go into the city intake system. They show up in, in the intake system. Only fifty nine thousand four hundred migrants are in the city's care. I say only that is an enormous amount, but it's half, half or not. So it's not every migrant. So when I hear people say hundreds of thousands have come in or no, it's 59,400. And most of them are in shelters of some sort. You know, I've heard Curtis say, and he's coming in at, at four o'clock for love first right? Curtis say, you know, where are all these kids? We keep hearing our kids. No, the kids are in hotel rooms. Kids are not allowed to be put in congregate shelters. So all these fights are about shelters. Kids are not going into shelters. There are about 19,000. According to the to the city, about nineteen thousand kids in that group. Okay, so for one thing, let's separate out the kids. The kids didn't do anything wrong. The kids are not bad people. They're just kids. That's all they are. They're kids. And you know where are they coming? Venezuela's forty-one. I got all these numbers. Venezuela's forty-one percent of them. The next is Ecuador at eighteen percent, then Colombia, down to two percent from Nicaragua, three percent from Russia, et cetera. But I keep hearing people say, and I've heard the mayor say this, we're full, the city's full. No, our shelter system is full. Our city is empty. We lost a whole bunch of population. We lost close to a half a million people between 2000, uh, between 2020 and 22. You heard Zeldin talk all about it. You hear hosts here talk all about it. Everyone's moving out of New York. We had a 5% drop in our population. That's bad. So now we have another 107,000 come in, more coming in probably every day. We're a city of 8.3 million people. We lost 500,000 people, and now we're getting some. We're getting some back with this migration. We have to figure out what to do with them. We have to figure out how to provide them housing. We have to figure out where they're going to go. It's a problem. Every like, oh, This crazy woman So, oh, the schools are a majority undocumented. 19,000 kids, we have a school system of 1.1 million kids. And by the way, that's down also. So it's about 1% increase in the amount of kids. We can't afford, yeah, we can't afford to house these people. But that's the obligation we have under our Constitution, according to a court order. So if you're going to be mayor, like Mayor like Mayor Sliwa or Mayor Wiener or Mayor Adams, you have no choice but to provide them housing because of a court decree that only New York City, not sanctuary city, none of that stuff. It's That's a court decree that's entered into by Ed Koch, who's followed by every mayor since there's no choice. You don't get to take a pledge when you're sworn in to not uphold the laws. All right, so you've heard a lot about something else, this whole idea of, well, should they be allowed to work? It depends on what your philosophy is. If you're trying to save money for the city, you want them to work. Because once they're working, they become part of that half that does not, is not in the shelter system. They're working. On the other hand, the system was designed by this. The, um, the, uh, the asylum laws were made, were passed by Congress, your Congress members, to say no working in the first six months. Why did they do that? Because back then, the asylum process only took about six months at most. So they didn't want people gaming the system by coming in to try to work using the asylum system. Well, now it's four years, the waiting period. So now now we're back to that problem. If you want the city, if you want them to be able to work, Mayor Adams, 
You got to call Nicole Maliotakis because she's the one who who's in the majority party in Congress. You have to change the law, Kathy Hochul. You wonder why when you go to visit the president, they can't do what you want. It's the law, the six month part. Now, I think they should be allowed to work because I want to save the tax dollars. And then we hear people say, oh, the crimes, even that that woman who I just played, the 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 criminals, the fentanyl, this, the fentanyl, that. MS-13. These people are applying for asylum. They're showing up. They're presenting themselves under the law. 19,000 of them are kids. The fentanyl traffickers are not showing up with pieces of paper and going to an intake system. Use your heads, people. We have a huge fentanyl problem. They're coming in in the panels of trucks and panels of cars. When there was a fight in 2018 about putting up more detection devices at, at the, um, at, at, at the borders, Donald Trump said, no, I want to build a wall. So they did a deal. They said, right, you go build your 400 miles of your wall that's 2,500 miles. You go put 400 miles of it up using Department of Defense monies. And we'll add this extra money to reopen the government. That, that, that We need more of that to cut, cut down on fentanyl. But it's not these people. These people are not coming here showing up with fentanyl. And they're not getting free stuff either. Is this expensive? Yeah, it is. It is. The mayor's not wrong about that. It's expensive. We've got to figure out how to pay for it. But if you don't like the way this system is working, get in line. I don't either. That woman who called in, she, she quoted 80% of people agree to keep the, the, the migrants out. I was curious. I went, where'd she get that number? I went back. There's a poll. 80% are dissatisfied with the way we're handling it. Some people want us to, to be more generous. Some people want us to, to give them more benefits. Some people want them to work. People are dissatisfied on every side of this. Our city was emptying out. Now it's got some people who are coming in. There's appropriate places for them to be inappropriate places. I get it. But people who say, well, I, I pro-immigrant, but I don't, I want them to come in the right way. That's bull. At least, you know, I listen to, to Sid every morning. At least he's honest about it. He says, I don't want him. Fine. Okay. That's a position. Not one I agree with, but it's a position. And then finally, before we go to the break, finally people are like, uh, 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 Eric Adams. We're going to talk about this a little at four o'clock with Curtis. Eric Adams, like, give us money. That's not the way. Did Joe Biden give us money? And then, I, and then people say, well, say Joe Biden's name that he's doing. No, 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 no. Ask, ask Esposito, ask Santos, ask Maliatakis, the controlling party in the appropriating uh, uh, side of Congress. Read the Constitution. I had it wrong last week. I said it was it was it was it was Article Two of the Constitution. It's Article One. That's 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 Congress. Anyway, we're going to talk a little more about immigration now. The phones are booming. Everyone loves this one. They want this. You know, people love yelling about immigration. I'm fine yelling about it too. But for goodness sakes, can we at least agree that some things are true and some things are not true? These are tough issues. They're made a lot easier if we least agree on the terms of the debate. It's Anthony Weiner. It's the middle. 800-848-WABC. And we'll be right back.
pretty frightening, but you know the chances are so small. Stuck by bee sting, nothing but a bee thing. Better chance you're gonna buy it at the mall. But it's a 23 or 4 to 1 that you can fall in love by the end of this song. So get up, get up, tell the bookie put a bet. I'm not a damn thing will go wrong. The odds are that we And welcome back to the middle. It's Anthony Weiner. I'll be here till four o'clock. Then Curtis Lewa comes in. We're talking about Curtis Lewa's favorite issue: the issue of the undocumented that are coming here, the asylum seekers, where they're being placed. You know who knows where they're going? <laughs> Probably Curtis. Uh, he has been right more than he's wrong. He quotes this number ninety-five percent. I don't know who told him that, but he's—I'm going with it. He's—he's he's been right more than he's wrong. Look, there's a lot of demagoguery going on, and Curtis is a candidate for higher office, maybe, and he's a talk show host. I get it. And it's no different. I know everyone's, oh, I, I want them to do it the same way. I've been around doing this for too long. I represented South Brooklyn. I represent in the city council, where in the early 90s, it was still at the, at the, the end of the, uh, the, the effects of the fall of the Soviet Union. There was a lot of Russian emigres coming there to Little Odessa, to Sheepshead Bay, to Marine Park, and everywhere else. And it was the same thing then. Different, maybe slightly different language. Then they would say, oh, they're all getting these benefits. I see them wearing fur coats and eating caviar on food stamps. It's the same language. We have this tension in our country. We we are a country of immigrants, a city of immigrants, and yet we don't like immigrants when they come here. Seriously. And 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 it's so easy to demagogue this issue. But, you know, we should try to agree a little bit, at least what the terms of the debate are. Let's go to Alan Yonkers to start us off. Hey, Al. Hello, Congressman. Uh, Good afternoon. You know, the new national news in regards to the uh, migrants is that they're going to be heading to Cape Cod. Uh, The general public needs to be aware that the uh, migrants, they're not going to be going where the rich and famous have their houses off the mainland of the Cape. I mean, Nantucket and... Al, Al, they can go wherever they want. No, but but I think they're going to be sent to the mainland. They, they, they're not say, getting sent. Any, they, 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 they have, while they're here and while they're, they're, they're awaiting their hearing, they can go wherever they want in the United States of America. No, I understand, but I think there's an agreement with the state of Massachusetts where they're going to get motels for these migrants because there's a overflux of them in the state of Massachusetts right now. Right, but, 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 Al, but Al, say, Al, Al, I'm, I'm going to let you finish, but let me just make it clear. If someone is offering a migrant a benefit to go a certain place, they can either go on that bus or not go on that bus. I just want to make that clear. Now, what in the past, people like Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis have lied to people and saying, if you get on this bus, you'll get work permissions when you get there and things like that. But people are allowed to go where they want to go. But go ahead. I'll finish your point. Yeah, my point is I've been going to the Cape since I'm a young person in the uh, since the 1970s. Uh, My sister uh, has a house, a cottage in a blue collar town on the Cape. So my point is, if these migrants all get sent to the Cape, uh, it's all wrong place for them to be sent. I'll tell you why. Uh, in the winter, the, co- the Cape, even though it's more uh, people live there all year round, it's still 
dark and desolate in the winter. But Al, uh, but no Al, Al, let me just interrupt you. Let me just interrupt you. These migrants are smart enough to figure out where it's most advantageous for them to be. I mean, one of the challenges we have in New York is that we have this legal requirement that the Cape doesn't have, that Florida doesn't have, that Texas doesn't have, that they have a right to shelter. And if you're coming, if you've traveled five countries away or two, you know, thousand miles away and you've gotten to the border and someone says, well, there's a community in, that has a lot of Venezuelans already that is very diverse and it has a law that says that you can get housing and it's the only one. Do you want to go there? They're probably going to say, sure, I want to go there. So, but the one of the arguments made by people who say let them work is, well, yeah, they'll go to the Cape and they'll do, they'll work on a fishing trawler because that's where the work is. They'll go to East Hampton because that's where the, the seasonal worker is. They'll go to, to, to California and pick strawberries or almonds because that's where the work is. And then they make the money and then they don't necessarily need to go to a shelter bed in, in New York. Those are the two sides of the argument. On the other side, people say, well, you don't want to create an incentive. The asylum system is not supposed to be a work program. We don't want to create that incentive. That's why the six months is in there. But this whole idea of like send them here or send them there, that's not a thing. They're coming to New York for a reason. Let's go to Anna or Ina. Am I, I don't know how to say your name. Thank you, um, Mr. What's your name, last name again? You can call me Anthony or you can call me Wiener. Anthony, Wiener, Mr. Wiener. Um, you're, we are really off today because we are not responsible for these, for these, um, migrants. There's kids living in shelter for the past years, 10 years, groping in shelter and not getting the right nutrition. So what should we right do, Ina? So what, what should we do with the kids who are here? Will we just let them sleep on the street? What do you think we should do? They, we didn't invite them here. No, no, no one, no one, no, we, we don't have an invitation system here in the United States of America. But now that they're here, what should we do with them? Um, what, what should, since you're going to talk like that, I'm going to talk raw. You know what, what I would like? I would like the mafias, the, the mob was still around because they would never cross that border because they would never cross that border like that. Did you know that some of them have houses, leave their houses and family and come in here? And these kids, you have veterans sleeping in the, in the subway, mental people on the subway, Ma- Ma- and stuff like that. Ina, Ina, Ina. And you worrying about these people, I'm not young wor- guys. I'm not worried about it. I just want to have an honest conversation about it. You say that you don't want the kids to be fed. Fine, we're not going to feed the kids when they're here. You've got 19,000 children, okay? They're here, they're here legally, they're here lawfully. You say you don't want to take care of them. Okay, well, what do you want to do with them? Yeah, my, my parents had to call my sponsor, my, my, my mother, and we had to wait until we get our visa. I understand, and people, when- I understand, Ina, and I understand. I've heard this argument a hundred times, and I get it. People have come here all different ways. And people came here all different ways. Some people came on a visa and then they overstended. And some people came here on a work thing and then transitioned. Some people got married. There have been, yes, but they all came under provisions of the immigration law. If from now on, instead of saying I came here this way and they came here that way, say I came under provisions of the immigration laws of the United States and these people came under the provisions of the immigration laws of the United States. 
I keep hearing, oh, my God, how come it didn't come back? Oh, they didn't get screened like in the old days. You guys go in the old days. They had some guy look into your eye and then put an H on your cheek and then send you to another room. Is that screening? And they all came in. I just want everyone to understand this. They all came in under a provision of the immigration laws of the United States that allows people to seek asylum here. And the only question we have now is, well, two questions. One, you want to change those laws, that's fine, but the barn door is now open. And two, what do we do now that they're here? And I think for question one, you've got to talk to Democrats and Republicans, particularly Republicans in Congress, and say get serious about trying to fix this problem and update our immigration laws. We did it every 20-some-odd years for the last 100 years. I don't know why these guys can't get it done. And to the second thing, we have to at least be honest about what we're talking about here. It's, it's, it's a lot of people that have a housing need that has been shrined in our court system and our legal system. That's tough tacos on us. You can't just ignore that law. And I see just, just people like, people are calling, calling in and saying it's a huge issue. Why don't I see it? I see it as a huge issue, but I just want us to be honest about it. I mean, We don't have to all demagogue this thing. Let's be honest about it. We got we 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 have a serious problem on how to deal with this influx that we have. But I want to say something else though. Whenever we have waves of immigration to our city and to our country, I want I don't I want to break the news to all of you. We have this exact same craziness like that woman who I played earlier. The demagoguery that they're bringing in diseases, that they don't want to work, that they're getting free stuff. It's the same, same arguments we always hear. Let's just be honest. I love immigrants, but I, I love immigration, but I hate that. I hate immigrants, basically, is the summary. Why won't Joe Biden close the door? There's no door, my, there's no door. These people are, are coming here. Now, they're coming here because the system is, is broken. I get that. Maybe they're taking – a lot of these people are not going to be granted asylum. But you want to hear something crazy that when I was researching this issue? So I said to myself – so I said, well, that's a lot of people that we're going to have to deport at the end of this. And then I did some research. Apparently, immigration judges, when they're ruling on these amnesty cases, are not at the same time writing deportation orders. If you follow what I'm saying, so people are applying for amnesty, they have to show they're subject to persecution, physical violence, religious persecution, things like that. If they're just here for economics because they want a job, that doesn't count. So the, it, the, the, it used to be weeks going into months for how long it took because it used to be one or two were coming at a time. By the way, last week I referred to the USS St. Louis. That's not right. It's the something else St. Louis. USS is a U.S. ship. That's that was incorrect. Another thing I wanted to correct. So then these courts are making these decisions on these on, and on these asylum cases, and they're not kicking people out of the country as a result because they feel too bad for these families or something. So the whole system is just kind of a mess. But that doesn't mean these people did 
they violated any rule that your parents didn't violate. People have been using the system, and, and, and Congress has to fix the laws. And let me make one other point before we go to a break. Everyone says, Joe Biden, give us money. First of all, Joe Biden doesn't sit around with a sack of money waiting for a governor to show up and then gives him a pile of 20s. He's the president. He All he does is is put into play, you know, it's the Congress that, that allocates money. And let's take that. Let's say our Congress give us some money. Yeah, I want Congress to give us some money. And if I was in Congress still today, I'd be fighting for more money. But you give money to New York? I think we should get extra because we have this housing law. But do you really? It's our, it's our decision to have that housing law to have a constitution, a state constitution that has a right to housing in it. If you're in St. Louis, Missouri, why aren't you? I'm sure some people are winding up there. If you're a border, if you're San Diego, you get money too. Right. You know who decides that stuff? Congress. But as I said last week, if you're a Republican in Congress, you love this. If you're Curtis Slewa, you got it's a great issue. I guess people are fired up. If you don't like Hochul, if you don't like uh, um, Adams, this is a mess. This is great. You guys have a mess on your hands. True. No doubt about it. But if you want to be honest about this, this is Congress has to fix this. Next time you see Nicole Malitakis up at a rally with a megaphone. Ask her what she plans to do with the undocumented that are here. I actually played a cut of it. There's a, there's a cut out there somewhere of an interviewer asking her that question. Asked like five times and she couldn't answer it. What do you do with the undocumented who are here? There's 13 some odd million undocumented here now. Because usually what happens is like we, we fix the system eventually. It is a big issue. But it's an issue we should be honest about. Honest about the contours of it. Right now it's, oh, they're coming here and they're filling up our this and they're filling up our that and it's, and they're bringing in crime and diseases and it's costing us money and Biden won't close the door. And it's, look, that's not the way adults talk about it. That's not, you know, it's good shout radio. It's good for crazy callers who got like 500 votes in a primary for, you know, an election one time. But that's not the way. That's not the way we roll here. That's all I can say. And we're back on the other side for some more. Boy, the, the, the phone lines are full. I'm going to try to plow through with, with less filibustering, get some a few more calls. It's the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner, and we're back on the other side. The odds are that we will probably be all right. Odds are we're going to be all right. Odds are we're going to be all right for another night. Sure, things go wrong, but I'll take my chances. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. The corner of my eye, I 
saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Or could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice and you can go and send me on my way. I said, You're such a sweet young thing, why you do this to yourself? She looked at me and this is what she said. Oh, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. I got So welcome back. Okay, so we're doing, we're kind of splitting things up today. The first hour, it's a little bit about Binomics and how it's working for you. <laughs> All right, that wasn't really what it was about. It was a summary. I mean, that kind of is because we talked about how Medicare will be negotiating for lower prices for drugs and how so many Americans agree on that, 80, 90%. And I said, like, as soon as I finished my, my monologue and I went to the first break, I said to Ava, people aren't going to want to talk about that. They won't, just want to argue about stuff. They just want to fight about stuff. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, the second hour is something that people really are, get fired up about. And look, I, I, I've been doing too much talking. Let's hear from you, the listeners. Let's first just go to Michael and Wayne. Go ahead, Michael. Welcome back. Anthony, how are you? Um, and before you interrupt me, I just want to talk. You know, you know darn well that coming here for work is not legally seeking asylum. You keep on saying that they're doing something legally. They're not. Okay? But Michael, but, Michael but how do we determine? How do we determine that through what process? Excuse me. Seeking work is not a reason for seeking asylum. I understand, but, Anthony. but it's not up to Michael or up to Anthony. How do we how do we determine that? What's the process? What do you mean? That's why it's, that's why Trump's border policies worked. No, no, all right, hold on. All right, don't change the subject on me, Michael. You said that it's not legal to come here at, at, to stay here simply for work. That's right. But how do we determine that? Stick Anthony and offering it. Maybe they wouldn't come. Okay. Maybe let, they let wouldn't me answer, come. I'm let, not done talking, Anthony. Let me answer, let me Michael. Talk. Michael, I'm going to let you finish, but let me just answer the question that you started with. You, you're right. Michael is right. And Michael, just stay with us because I want I want to hear you out. Michael is right. If you come here and apply for asylum and you are just coming here for work, you're not subject to persecution. You're not subject to personal harm. You're not subject to violence. You will not be allowed to stay here. But the way we determine that is in the law. You go before a judge and you make your case and then they rule. They stamp your paperwork. Either you're accepted or you're not. But it's not just up to Michael to say no or Anthony to say no. Go ahead, Michael. Finish your point. Yeah, okay, Anthony. You know the numbers, how many people go to court, right, Anthony? How many show up that don't? Actually, no. No, actually, Michael, let me just let me just finish. So now we're at the point that, Michael, you agree with me. So they should have a process to go to court. Is that right, Michael? You agree with that? They shouldn't get here in the first place. Trump's wall would have worked. Trump had 36,000 Mexican soldiers at the border. And, Anthony, numbers don't lie. Don't sit there and say that it wasn't worse. It was the same under Trump when it was not. No, it was, it much, was higher, it's much higher under Biden. Well, but let me, let me say, did we not have migrant caravans under Trump? Stopped them, Anthony. And you know no, what? No, uh uh-uh. We didn't stop uh, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, Anthony. Listen, are you going to tell me you've seen it this bad under a president? Stop, Anthony. Why all- do it? But all right, Michael, I've given you plenty of chance. You've brought a lot to the table. Here's the thing this four year backlog in asylum cases didn't start under Biden. This was a two and a half to three year Biden backlog under Trump. Why? 
Because Trump had the idea that, oh, if we just starve the entire immigration system, everything would be better. Trump had the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Did Can someone show me the Trump Immigration Improvement Act of 2017, of 2018? Where was it? Where were the laws that were passed to solve these problems? The same place he couldn't get the, the job done to, to, to negotiate for Medicare. He couldn't do it. The guy couldn't legislate his way out of a paper bag. He shut down the government so that he could get 453 miles of border wall paid for by our Department of Defense funding. Fine. They built them. Fine. Do you know where the biggest fentanyl bust was of 2021? Under a wall! A tunnel under a wall! Oh, Trump disagreed. We have this problem under Trump. All of the laws we have today, every single one of them, as it relates to immigration, were there under Trump. Period. Period. End of sentence. Oh, it's a Trump this and Trump that. Yeah, where was the law? I don't know when Nicole Malatakis got elected. I'm sure she's got a long list of legislative accomplishments around that now that they control the House. I'm sure Esposito and, and these other guys, Lawler, these Republicans. I keep hearing, oh, this didn't happen under Trump. Yes, we did not destabilize and dismantle the Venezuelan government under Trump. Well, we actually did. You know what? We actually did. You didn't like having a socialist government? Good. You, the, the, the hyperinflation of 300%, they had no access to COVID medications because they had an idiot denying COVID in that country. People were dying. They didn't have medication. They tried, They walked 2,000 miles to get to our border. Remain in Mexico. Do that. Just do it. Oh, yeah. The way that, 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 that everyone, now we have candidates talking about bombing Mexico. You think they're going to cooperate with us now? I'm sorry. This, this needs, this needs adults making laws. Adults using facts, knowledge, making laws. Let's go to Steve in Elmont. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us. How are you doing, Mr. Weiner? Um, I know it's easier said than done, but I'm saying this because I want you to maybe explain to me why they don't just send the migrants back like they've done for years and let them apply from their country of origin. That's not the law. They're not required to. Okay, so that's so it's not the law. So what about the laws that are being broken when they, you know, by coming here and everybody we have from our um, secretary departments or whatever you call them, American embassies and stuff like that. There, so so Joe Biden. We know which countries really have the problem. So Joe Biden. Well, okay, there's two things here. One, Joe Biden tried to put a regulation in place that said you had to apply in at least one country that you cross through to get here. You had to apply there. And that was struck down by the courts because the court said that that's not the law. The Congress has to change the law. The president can't change it. A second thing, though, Steve, there is something the president could do, but you're not going to like it. And that is called something called temporary protective status. 
and they can take all people coming from a certain country and say we're going to give them TPS to allow them to stay here legally. But that's not what you want to accomplish. What you want to accomplish is to send them back to their country of origin. And there's no provision of that. I mean, we look, as I explained last week, these laws were passed at a time when we were randomly, kind of very subjectively turning people away who had legitimate reasons to be concerned for their life. And I referred to the the ship to St. Louis, which had people fleeing the Holocaust that we turned around and they had to return to their deaths. So we said, let's fix the system. And so every so often, the immigration system gets fixed. It, it gets updated. It's a very different system. When we passed this asylum law, it would be a matter of like one or two people showing up at an embassy somewhere asking for asylum. And we'd have a pretty quick hearing for them and they'd be turned They'd be either given approval or turned away. It was a pretty, and then they'd get a deportation order. They have to leave. But now, because of as I just as I just said, because of years of Republicans playing politics with this, and I say Republicans because when I was in Congress in 2008, there was something called the Gang of Eight: four Democrats, four Republicans, who were trying to work this out. I was part of a larger group that was in the House: Democrats and Republicans. And the moment that anything talked about, like, well, what do we do with the people that are here already? How do we give them a prize? If they pay their taxes, if they're good, if they're working, if they're, if you know, let's pay, make them pay a fine and go to the end of the line. The Republicans yelled at each other, said, oh, amnesty, amnesty, amnesty. Ted Cruz yelled at Marco Rubio, amnesty, when he was running for president. And ever since then, this has become politicized. Donald Trump walks down the elevator at a, at a, at a, at a hotel and he talks about immigration and walls and everything else. Well, if he wanted to be the immigration president, I'm fine building a wall. I think we both all have to compromise. I think my side should compromise on the wall. Fine, build more wall. Now, a lot of the border is a river. A lot of it's on private property. A lot of it's protected lands. But fine. You want to build a wall, build a wall. I think we should compromise. But he had two years of a House and a Senate and a four-year presidency. Could someone please point to me the Comprehensive Immigration Reform Act of Donald Trump that we can get? These are laws, Steve. These are not something that we get to just kind of say, all right, let's just put like ad hoc, put them in the back of a truck and drive them out of here. And by the way, the they and the them, these are people, 19,000 of them are kids. Kids. When you're a kid, you didn't do anything wrong yet. Got to feed them, right? Even if you're not in New York, you gotta feed them. If they're sick, you gotta, you gotta take care of them. And it's the law that if you're a minor in New York State, you gotta go to school. Doesn't say how you got here, doesn't say what you're, what, you gotta go to school. It's the law. These are laws. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll be back after break the final 10 minutes. And then Curtis Lewa comes in. If you think I'm fired up, Curtis Lewa has been on a nonstop tear for like months now. And he and I will be here for Left versus Right. I hope you join us. But to stick around, we have a few more calls. It's great to have you along here on The Middle. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. 
Welcome back to the middle. It's Anthony Weiner. We're here for another few minutes, and then Curtis Lieber comes in. Let's get to one, one or two more calls. By the way, Marie, I see you on the board. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say the woman. I, I, I used this cut of a woman earlier, and I don't want to use her name because I don't, you know, I don't want to embarrass her. Um, next, let's go to Andrew in New Jersey. Go ahead, Andrew. Hey, what's up, Anthony? My immigrant wife just out of the room because I had you on speaker and you were yelling because <laughs> you wanted to see what was going on. But um, a different line you just said about the border wall and there's a river. Well, obviously, the, the wall could be on the other side of the river on our side. But um, not everyone hates immigrants that want people to come here legally. So that's a lie. That you told in the no, 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 no. That, that's that's not that's not fair, Andrew. I, I said that there is a there is a dichotomy between what people say and what I think their underlying things when they say it is. There are a lot of people who I mean, it's you can't say you're pro-immigrant and then say except I hate every wave of immigration that comes here. That was the point I was making. But go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. Who actually says that? Do you hate immigrants? So you're using fancier words. You're saying the same thing, but you're using fancy words. I don't hate immigrants. My wife, she may be unhappy with me. In fact, I love her. I don't think you hate immigrants. My ex-girlfriend was from Guatemala. She doesn't hate herself. So you're lying. You're just using no, words. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't hate immigrants. I don't, I don't, who, who, some people, a lot of people take the position Sid does. I just don't want these people here. Period. That's the point I'm making. Some people say that, and at least that's, I don't know. I mean, at least there's there, there's some intellectually honesty about that. It's this other, you know, I wish people would come in. I want them to follow the rules. And then I say over and over again on the radio, they are following the rules. If you don't like, you know, what's the expression, don't hate the player, hate the game? If you don't like these laws, fine. Say, I don't like the immigration laws, and I want them to change because then Every elementary, well, junior high school kid in the country will say, all right, go to your Congress to change your laws. They don't say, you know, go to the executive branch, go to Joe Biden or blame the the, the people that are doing and blame the, those that are coming in here and making up stories like that crazy caller I, I, I played earlier of like they're bringing in this and they're bringing, they're filling up our schools and they're look, we lost a lot of a lot of people in our city. The same people on ABC on 77 Talk Radio who are yelling about how much how much population we've lost. All right. Well, these are some people that are coming back. Well, I just want them to come the right way. Well, they're coming up following the law. Well, I don't want them to to be in my backyard. Okay, I I agree with that part. There are some places I, I don't think it's appropriate for to be putting homeless shelters. I agree with that. And we shouldn't have to pay all this money. Yeah, I agree with that, too. But how do you fix that? That's a law, too. The law that says that we've got to, we've got to house people is a law. And I've said this to Curtis five times. Well, what would you do if you were mayor? I would say no. That doesn't work like that. You take an oath. You take an oath. To uphold. When you're the, when you're an, ex- when you're the mayor, you don't just get to say, I'm going to, I'm going to violate this law. Rudy didn't do it. And, and the Dinkins didn't do it, and Bloomberg, you just don't get to do that. You have to comply with the law. And we're stuck with it. But that's what the conversation should be. What law do you want changed, and how do we go about changing laws? Not making up stuff. Like, you know. And we can handle the population. That's not the problem. The city isn't full. 
our ability to pay all this money to house them. That's the problem. I just think we should have an adult conversation about this. And the adult conversation isn't close the door. (laughs) I mean, have you seen a single Republican presidential candidate have an honest, give you an honest answer about this? Yeah, that knucklehead DeSantis say, I'm going to shoot him on sight. Shoot who? (laughs) Just anyone? I'm the fentanyl guys. Are you going to check the backpack, see the fentanyl, and then shoot him? All right, at least that's a plan. But, like, shoot, that's not on site. That's after, anyway. We'll be back at the top of the hour. Thank you so much for joining. This has been an interesting episode. Sorry I got, maybe I should have flipped them, done the one that got me all excited in the first half and the one that was cool and factual in the second half. And, no, the undocumented don't have, they're not eligible for Medicaid. Unless you're getting all of Medicaid, you're not getting any of Medicaid. Are we paying for them when they get run over? Yes, we are paying for them when they get run over. It's Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. We'll see you on the other side with Left versus Right with the inimitable, whatever that means, Curtis Lewa. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.